This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Well, hello, everybody. We're back. It's a Wednesday coming to you on Facebook, and you can all see YouTube, and you can download it. Now, um, today we're going to talk on the deep cleaning of forgiveness. And forgiveness, the forgiveness of God is such a deep cleansing. But let me begin by saying a few things about this, because um, <clears throat> this is Psalm 51, and David is the writer. And it's interesting to me how David writes again about forgiveness and specifically the forgiveness that he needed after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then has her husband murdered. He's already covered these things back, and we've covered a different chapter, but now he's going to do it again. Here's the question, though. Have you ever noticed that... Uh, as you read through the Bible, and I hope you do, that there are repeated themes. I mean, they're, they're chronic and they're constant, such as forgiveness. Have you ever noticed that? You should. Have you ever wondered why? <laughs> I have. Uh, you know, I was sitting in a, um, in a theology class a long time ago, probably about 1989, maybe 1990, Vanguard University, and uh, the professor, he made a statement as to why this was. He said it was called the law of reoccurrence. That you see these things repeated, they occur again and again and again and again and again. They're repeated through Scripture. And the reasoning behind that is because, <laughs> have you noticed that we don't get it? <laughs> we can read it one time, I got it. No, you don't. <laughs> Ten times, I, nope, no, you don't. It, it, I mean, the first 50 times, I still don't get it, and finally it starts to sink in, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It just, it just takes time, which tells you we just always need an assault of truth upon our life, and especially forgiveness. We need to have that hammered into our, our souls constantly. Because the, the devil, it says, he accuses us day and night. It says that in Revelation 12. Now, I'm just guessing here. <laughs> but we celebrated Thanksgiving a little over a month ago, right? And uh, maybe almost two months ago. And I'm guessing, but I think that maybe some of you, you didn't just stop at one plate. <laughs> After you ate the one plate, you go... I'm going back for more. And you load it up with whatever your favorite things are, and I did too. And uh, you had that second plate, but then you didn't stop there. <laughs> you said, you know, I, I have a little bit of room left. And you went for a third plate. Some of you went for a fourth plate. And then after that, then you got pumpkin pie, <laughs> or whatever kind of pie you guys had there. You kept going back for more, going back for more, going back for more, because good. For me, I kept going back for more yams and more yams because they're good, man. Olivia makes some good yams. I like that a lot. Now, when it comes to forgiveness, you just need to keep going back for more and more. You can't just go back to the Bible and say, well, I get it. I, no, you don't. We've got to keep going back for seconds and thirds and fourths and fiftieths and hundreds and two hundreds and get forgiveness. 
Because you know why? Because you and I are the same. We have a great ability to do wrong things. Have you ever noticed that about you? There's, a, there's somebody in you that wants to do some bad stuff. Have you ever noticed? <laughs> and you can't outrun that person. They're in you. I remember one guy said a long time ago, the enemy is in me. <laughs> He's inside me. It's my old nature. I want to do bad stuff. And so it leads me to do bad stuff. Bad thoughts, bad this. And so I need a repeated dose of forgiveness. Because forgiveness is like the antibiotic that war wards off self-condemnation. Guilt. Oh my gosh. And self-condemnation and guilt, you feel bad enough about yourself and sins you've committed, you will do some bad things to punish yourself. It's a proven fact. So we need the cleansing of the forgiveness of God. And in Psalm 51, David's going to give us another full dose of forgiveness and cleansing. Now the backdrop of this is actually um, uh, um, when Nathan the prophet comes to David, to confront him on the sin. Because earlier we started in previous weeks that David kept quiet for one year on his sin. Nathan confronts him, the prophet. And, uh, and if you ever want to read it, it's found in 2 Samuel 12. Nathan is brilliant. He uses a companion-type story to lure David in. And once David agrees, then Nathan says, you're that guy in that story. And David knows he's been happy. It's, it's beautiful, it's, it's, it's brilliant on how he confronts a man who's keeping quiet about his own sin. So, what are we going to do today? We're going to look at this Psalm 51, and we're going to look what David says first on how he approaches God with the sin. That's huge, how you approach God. Secondly, he's going to talk about his, uh, how he confesses and he gets the deep cleansing from sin, which is huge. And third, and not least of all, we're going to look at the result of the deep cleansing, how it changes a life, and how a life should be lived after the deep cleansing. Got it? So there's three things. First off, the approach. The first thing we're going to look at is he appeals, in the approach, he appeals to the character of God. Watch Psalm 51.1. It says this, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion." Blot out my transgressions. Whoa, that's a big statement. Now, <clears throat> let me tell you something that you hear periodically, and I just kind of want to set it straight here. Some people say, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament, he's just a God of judgment and law, and there's no grace and none of that. But the New Testament, Jesus, God in the flesh comes, and he's grace and forgiveness. It's too different. No, it's not. <laughs> Where do people get these ideas from? It's exactly the same. Let me, right here, proves it. Your loving kindness, your compassion, your gracious. But watch this. Turn to Jonah chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 4. And I'll give you a second to get there. In Jonah chapter 4, Jonah, now the people have repented. And watch what Jonah tells God in verse 1 and 2, chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. You have an evangelist that's mad because people got saved. <laughs> I have run into a few Christians over 41 years that were angry that somebody got saved who they were praying for to get saved, and now everybody loves that person and they didn't like it. <laughs> Can you believe that? Verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, here's what he's talking to God. Please, Lord, 
Is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? In other words, we had this discussion before I left. That's why I ran. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew, what does he know? That you, God, are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. What did he just say? He says, God, you know I ran. You know, and I, I got on that ship and didn't want to go to Nineveh because I know what you're like. You're gracious. You're loving, you're loving, you're kind, you're compassionate. And I don't like those people in Nineveh. <laughs> I hate them. <laughs> I want them dead. So I knew that if I would flee, that it would stop you from saving these people. Stop you from giving grace and mercy and forgiveness to these people. <laughs> you can't stop that, though. Listen. He proved the point. God in both Old and New Testament is a God of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. That's what he's saying right here. Now, <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews says this because remember the whole idea is he's appealing to the character of God. And I want to drive this one home in you because if you don't get this, you will have a little bit of trouble coming to God. In Hebrews um, chapter 11, verse 6, watch. He says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, keep, comes to God, you're approaching God, must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. What? Believe that he is? You must believe that God is. You know, well, in this case, what is God? He's a rewarder. He's giving you a character quality of God. God is a rewarder. But here's the whole idea I want to bring forth. If you know the character of God, it makes it a lot easier to approach him. Come on. Haven't you ever messed up? And you feel like, I, I just, God, I can't come to you now. And somehow down deep inside you feel like, you know, I, I, God, you're mad at me. Or you can't forgive me. And so you don't approach God. You made a big mistake. Because you pinned the wrong character qualities on God. God is not like that. He's loving. He's grace-giving. Compassionate. He's approachable. Because of those qualities, he's approachable. Listen. We've all met someone that is unapproachable, right? <laughs> Question, why won't you approach them? Well, they're angry. <laughs> it's really fun to be around angry people. Oh, they're irritable. Yeah, you know, got to walk on eggshells around them. Yeah, mm -hmm. they don't listen to anything or anyone, you know. And, and then if you tell them anything, they just spin it on you and blast you back, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you don't approach that person because it's a waste of time. You know it's not going to go anywhere. And by the way, you don't want to be a person that is unapproachable. That might be the last thing you want to be, an unapproachable person. Jesus was so approachable that even the little children came running up to him. They weren't afraid of him. They weren't intimidated by him. 
He didn't walk around with a stern look on his face, repelling everyone. They ran to him. You see, we can approach God. And we do approach God because of the character of God. That's what David is saying. It's a great truth. God's loving, he's graceful, he's compassionate, and you can come to him. Now, let me give you a little flip of the coin side note on a way God approaches us to repent. This is just a quick, we're going to chase a rabbit, come back, but it's interesting. Um, in the Old Testament, there's a guy by the name of Jacob. And Jacob, if you remember him and his brother Esau, Jacob tricks, basically swindles his brother, and then he tricks the father into getting the blessing. He puts, remember the, the animal skins with hair on them because his brother Esau's a hairy man, and he's the, Esau's the oldest, so he, he should receive the blessing. Dad's blind by now, and he prays for Jacob, thinking it's Esau, and he gets the blessing. So Jacob is deceitful, and he steals the blessing. And then he's got to get out of there because Esau says, I'm going to kill you. If I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. So he splits, and he goes and lives with Uncle Laban far away. And so what happens? He gets there, and Uncle Laban, he's got this real good-looking daughter, Rachel. <laughs> Jacob, I'd like to marry this girl. And, you know, Laban says, no problem. But you're going to work for me for seven years, and then you can marry her. Okay. And he works for seven years. Seven years. And then comes the wedding night. <laughs> and, you know... It's dark, and she's wearing a veil. The next morning, he wakes up after the consummation. It's not Rachel. It's his sis her sister, Leah, who he doesn't like, but he's married to her now. He goes, you've deceived me. <laughs> he goes, well, it's not our custom to marry the older before the younger. They have a custom. You can't marry that way. So he says, you work for me seven more days, you get to marry Rachel. And he does. But think about it. This is one of God's techniques, again, for us to, to, to get us to repent of things. The very things that we do, that we justify, and you know how we are, right? Oh, I, I, you know, because I did this because of that, and this because of that. You know, shut up and be biblical. But God will allow the same things that we do, that we think are right but are wrong, to happen to us, and we realize, I don't like that. To hopefully get us to realize, I shouldn't like the way I'm behaving. I shouldn't. Jacob the deceiver gets deceived, and it begins to wake him up. To the moment that he sits there, wrestling all night long at the Jabbok River, and he finally has a complete change of heart. God loves us enough to do that. Now, so now we've seen the approach. Now, <clears throat> let's look at the deep cleansing. That's uh, the second thing, and that is, now David's going to describe how deep forgiveness cleanses, because forgiveness cleanses deep, and this is where you got to get this one, man. Now, <clears throat> Psalm 51, 1 through 3 says this again. I'll read verse 1 again and then 2 and 3. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Now watch the terms. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. In other words, I, I, I need a deep cleaning because this sin is dominating my thinking, my guilt, the shame of it, everything, and the condemnation. It's, like, it's ever before. I, I need a, a washing. Now, let me, let me show you what these words mean because they're, they're really cool. When he says, 
in the first one, he says, blot out. It means to wipe away. Why, why, please wipe away my sins. Wipe it away. But then it goes deeper. Then he says, wash me thoroughly. You know what the word wash means? What's the word he uses? It means to trample with the feet. It means a fuller's wash. A fuller's wash? Yes. What does that mean? Well, a fuller in that day, there was this process. They would take this material, this whole thing, and they would put it in, say, a river, and they would begin to step on it, step on it, step on it, trot on it, trot on it, because this material has all kinds of old substance and different things, and they want to get all those old things out of that and just have the raw, pure fiber. And it was typically done outside the city because of the odors this material would give off in the process of fulling, a fuller's wash. Isn't that something? David is saying this. Wipe away all my sin. Stomp it out. Every remnant, every stink, every old attachment. Now, I, I need to pause here. <coughs> I said any old attachment on purpose because the river is flowing through there and getting out all this old junk out of there. So there's nothing left but raw fiber. All this thing's gone. Any old attachment, gone. Get rid of it is what he's saying. <clears throat> Do you remember, or maybe you can't, but some of the things that you and I struggle with right now, do you remember when it attached? Do you remember as a young teen? Maybe it was elementary school. Maybe it was in your early 20s when you veered away from God for a while and got into things, and things attached. And you've been fighting it ever since. You see, in 2 Timothy 2.22, it says to flee youthful lusts. Flee youthful attachments, points of control. I think every one of us would like to go back to certain points in time and say, I wish I'd never made that decision. I wish I'd never done that because I got an attachment. And it's haunted me ever since. <coughs> David is saying, wash me so deep. Wash me so thoroughly. Get every remnant, get every stink, get every attachment, get it all out. Let that river flow as you stomp and stomp. Get out all the old substances. And why? Why does he say that? Because the third thing he says is cleanse me. He says, cleanse me. You know what cleanse means? Cleanse me? It means to be bright. It means to be contaminated. I'm sorry, uncontaminated. Now, if you're like me, um, uh, periodically, you have an old t-shirt that, well, it's done. <laughs> it's, it's given up the ghost. It's a, it's a done deal. And that old t-shirt, if you're like me, you know what it now becomes, right? It becomes a rag in your garage. 
You may put armor all on there for your tires. <coughs> you may wipe up oil in your driveway that somebody left or something, you know. But you know. You know you've used that old t-shirt rag in that garage it, for some of the grossest things or things like, it, it's bad. And so when it finally gets to the point, it's like, you know, it's over for this rag because you've had it in the garage for all this t-shirt. It's done. And we're not putting this in the washer because it's, we're not, it's not going to get near good clothes. Nope. It's going now in the trash because there are other old t-shirts that will come up and take the place. So we dump it. It just, it's got too much crud in that thing. Sometimes we think God's like that. That God says, no, you can't be part of anything because you got too much crud on you. God's not like that. God puts you in the wash with everybody else. Everybody sins. And he washes us all clean. Better than new. Better than new. <clears throat> See, the writer, David, <clears throat> he's saying, I want to be bright like and God washes us bright. I want to be cleansed. I want everything gone. I want a deep, deep clean. You know, I want to be washed like a fuller. You know when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember that story? Takes Peter, James, and John up to the mountain, and he's transfigured. They get to see him in his full glory. And he's so bright. His face shined like the sun. And his garments, it says, were so bright that, so white and bright that they were so clean that not even a fuller could get him that clean. A fuller, mm, that nobody could wash him that clean. Oh, man. Tie it all together. They're seeing Jesus in his glory. You know that when you became a Christian, you were walking in glory? That the blood of Jesus has cleansed you so deep that your, your, your sins have gone from you know red to white. That no fuller could get you that clean. You're clean, you're shiny and bright. He takes every piece of your life and he can redo it, man. Jesus does the deep cleansing. Never forget that. Never forget that. Now, look at verse 4. <clears throat> he says, Against you, you only I have sinned, big statement, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Now, quick note on this, and that's this. <clears throat> Uh, David makes the very important statement, against you only have I sinned. Now, that doesn't mean that when we sin, that we haven't sinned against others and we don't have to make it right. We do have to make it right. That's very important. But David is saying that all sin, all sin is against God. All sin. I can give you for instance on that. When David does repent in 2 Samuel 12, he says, against you only I have sinned, God. When Joseph is in Potiphar's house there in Genesis, and she's grabbing at his clothes, and he's a young guy, and she's an older woman, she goes, I want you to sleep with me. My husband's God, nobody's in the house, come on. And David refuses to, and he says these words, he says, how can I do this thing and sin against God? He knows God's watching. He knows all sins against God. He knows no one else is in the house but them too. But he knows that sin is against God. See, God sees it all. He sees everything. You know what's interesting is that David is a young man far away from home. Nobody knows him whatsoever. 
He could have been bitter about everything that happened to him. They sold me into slavery, this and that. My brothers are mean to me, this and that. And he could commit, I forget, I'm just going to have a good time with this, with this man's wife. But he says, no, I cannot sin against God. I can't do this. And he doesn't do it. All sin primarily is against God. <clears throat> now, now, let me read verses 5 through 7. <coughs> he says, Behold. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. That's a theological verse that I really don't have time to get into right now. It would take a long time. So we'll leave it at that or for another time. Then verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Now, when he says you desire truth in the innermost being, you could look at it and say a couple things like, first off, you could say, be honest with yourself. Tell yourself the truth. You know, humans, whether Christian or not, very hard to be honest with ourselves. Very difficult. Because to be honest with ourselves requires the fact that we might have to change something or admit something. And we don't like that. Be honest with yourself. Tell yourself the truth. And then I think the other side of it means this. Truth in the innermost being. You know, David says in the Psalms later on, he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. In other words, you've got to get the word of God in your heart, in your heart, in your heart, in your heart repeatedly pounding in like pylons in there till you have so much truth in there. And so when things come at you, no, the truth just flows from you. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Now, let me read on. Verse 7. He says this, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Ooh, man, notice he uses the word hyssop. What's hyssop? Well, it's a plant. Kind of stiff branches with kind of hairy leaves. It's just... But why does he use the word hyssop? Is what I want to, I want to really bank on now and drive it home. And hopefully this makes sense to you as it makes sense to me in my head. Hyssop. David's the writer. He's an Old Testament guy. He's reflecting back to something that he knows. Over in Exodus, turn to Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. This is the night <coughs> that they're applying the blood to the doorpost. It's Passover night. The doorpost and lintel. And he says in verse 22, he says, You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. Now David must be reflecting back to that when he says, purify me with hyssop, because the branch itself is not going to purify you. But he's reflecting back to the night of the Passover, but with that blood, applying it with hyssop to the doorpost and lintel, and they're inside the home that the the angel of death will pass over and no one will die. They'll be saved. That's what David is referring to. And as they applied the blood on the post, on the post, lentil, that blood drips down. And so not only do you have blood here, blood here, blood here, you have blood there. Hand, hand, head, crown of thorns, feet nailed. It's a picture of the cross at that doorpost and lentil. So David is saying, pass over my sins. Wash me thoroughly. But David, 
He can't look forward the way you and I can look back to a moment in the future of David's life that he will not see personally, but you and I look back on it, and that is Jesus in John 19, 29. Watch this. Jesus on the cross. I like following little words like this. It just fascinates me. Hopefully it fascinates you. And if it doesn't, that's okay. <laughs> as long as I'm happy with this. Um, look at John 19, 29. And Jesus on the cross, and it says, verse 29, a jar full of sour wine was standing there. And so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop. Oh. And brought it up to his mouth. Well, okay. Right after this, Jesus says, it is finished. But they bring the branch of hyssop, they bring the sour wine up to him. He's a bloody mess. And so that hyssop branch touches the blood as they're it to his mouth. More blood with a hyssop branch. And then Jesus says, it is finished. David could not have looked forward to that moment, to the true blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ that would wash away our sins and deep cleanse. He lived in an Old Testament time when God just covered sin for one year. We live in a day when God cleansed sin away because of the blood of Jesus. It is finished. I like that. There's the deep cleansing. Now, let me give you the results of all the deep cleansing. And this is the way we should be living, guys, because we've been deep cleaned. The results are found in, in, in Psalm 51, verse 10 through 17. Let me read it, and then I'm going to go back and say a few things. 10 through 17. David says now, as the result, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away, from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Let me comment there because I'm not going to comment later on this. Why is David saying, don't cast me away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me? Because he saw King Saul lose everything. He saw King Saul lose the Spirit of God. He saw King Saul lose it all because of Saul's disobedience. And notice David, this is key. Don't miss what he says. He says, he doesn't say, don't take your kingdom from me. That's what Saul did. He says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David doesn't care about the kingdom. David doesn't care about things. He says, don't take you from me. Boy, that's a right heart right there, no matter how much sin he's messed up in. Let me read on. Verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then... I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from, the, from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. And a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Now let me run through. Well, here's the results. Once you've been deep cleansed, you've approached God, He's forgiven you, fuller soap, remnant, stink, attachments, it's thoroughly washed, you're bright, you're clean, and here should be the results of that life, the life you and I lead. First, in verse 10, He says, 
I want a steadfast spirit. What does that mean? No more coming and going from church. Well, I'm here for a month and I'm gone for six because I went through a hard time and I follow God strong and now I'm not. No more of that, okay? Stop it. If you're doing that, you don't understand God yet. He's got a steadfast spirit. I'm not backing off. I'm not slowing down. And then in verse 12, he says, there's a renewed joy of, my, of being saved. My salvation is new again. I feel new again. You know, when you're forgiven, you feel new. It lifts all the bricks off. Ooh, ooh. And then he says, he's got in verse 12, a willing spirit to do God's will. A willing spirit. He says, sustain me with a willing spirit. You know, that's important. Because you can become a Christian, you get forgiven, but you're not so willing to do what God wants. You need to have a willing spirit. That should be a result. In verse 13, he says here that he now has a heart to teach lost people about God. Wow, there's big right there. I've got a heart for the lost. And then in verse 14, he says, I have a strong desire to worship. <laughs> and boy, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we just want to worship God? Yeah. And then he jumped, we'll jump to verse 17, and he says, I have a transitioned, transformed heart. Why does he have that? Because he's got a broken spirit. That's not a bad thing. A broken and a contrite heart. What does that basically mean? He's soft. He's pliable. God can't build my life unless I'm soft before him, unless I'm willing. And God has to tear out some old things. The axe is laid at the root of every tree that does not bear good fruit, John the Baptist said. God's got to tear out old things, and we've got to be broken at times so God can build some new stuff. And that's true. Now, let me drive it home. <clears throat> let me try to drive it home. Now, looking back at verse 13, here's my last, last big thought within this. Looking back at verse 13, he says, he's going to I, I will teach sinners your ways. In other words, I'll reach the lost God. What's he saying? Here's the thought that popped in my head as I was typing this out. What he's saying is this. He's saying, I'm now hyssop. What are you talking about, Jim? I'm now hyssop. I am now the agent that applies the blood to the doorpost lentil of people's lives. I'm now that person. I'm now the person that God uses to save people with the blood of Jesus. See, when we're, when we're born again, when we're saved, when we've been deeply cleansed, we turn to His, we become His, we're the appliers of the love of Christ and forgiving other people, or bringing this, this Jesus to people. One last thought. The hyssop was dipped in there to quench Jesus' thirst. The hyssop was dipped in there to quench his thirst. So hyssop was used to quench Jesus' thirst. That's interesting to me. Because in John chapter 4, Jesus sits at a well in Samaria, and a woman comes in, he says, woman, give me a drink. He's thirsty. Then he has that big interaction with her, and he's there just to save her, and she puts her faith in, in him. Do you know we never read that he drank water from the well? 
at all. What is, what's the lesson in there? I think the, one of the lessons is when a lost person comes to Christ, that quenches the thirst of Jesus because he's thirsty to see lost people come to him. And so when you and I become hyssop and we bring that saving blood and the life of Jesus to people and they come to Christ, we quench the thirst of Jesus. At least we assist in quenching the thirst of Jesus in reaching lost people. Yeah. I think he's saying that. I think he's saying, <laughs> I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. I'll be hyssop. I'll be the applier of the blood that saves lives. Amen. Well, I'm going to stop there now. It's been fun talking to you. And uh, we'll see you next time. Hopefully this blessed you. You can share with anybody you want to. We'll see you later. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.